Is there anything you would have done differently? We reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. Hi, I'm Chris Steyerwald. And I'm Eliana Johnson. Welcome to Ink Stained Wretches, where we break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American news media. Up first on our front page. These are the stories we thought were most important this week. Chris, got to start off saying we are sitting here on uh, Thursday midday and we are in the midst of a breaking news cycle. So just want our listeners to know that we are following Mm -hmm. the developments in Afghanistan where reportedly two explosions have taken place at the airport. And we'll break down the media coverage of that next week because we're going to wait and see how it plays out. But I do want to note before today's events that We saw at least some of the media, the coverage was evolving in Afghanistan and MSNBC in particular and others explained to viewers, they they found their storyline, which is how Trump is to blame in Afghanistan. Let's play the clips. So is this exactly what anchors and reporters should be doing, holding the administration accountable? Or has the coverage been out of proportion, out of step with the American public? Yeah, it's ludicrous for Donald Trump to go around saying that he would have handled this better and he would have, you know, figured this all out because he had four years when he was president to get these people through the system, to get them processed, to issue these visas. And the reality is that system was destroyed under Donald Trump. What about the 626,000 Americans who died of COVID because of Donald Trump? So that is perhaps a predictable development in news coverage. Uh, that's, I'm sure, likely to change given today's events. But uh, what do you think about the Afghanistan coverage? I think just as it relates to the part about left cable saying that, I assume that is in reaction to right cable saying that it's all Joe Biden's fault and Trump has is not to blame. So that strikes me as bickering. It, Look, here's my two senses. It is distasteful, even if accurate, for an American president to blame his predecessors for the crises that he is dealing with. It is equally distasteful, I think, for the media to engage in this. Like, the truth is... It basically is Biden's fault. Of course, we know. Like, lots of people contributed to this, but... It's also distasteful for people who supported the previous administration to pretend that it's 100 percent Biden's fault and that that Trump had nothing to do with this. I, the the Trump is just a continuation or Biden is just a continuation of like what Trump would have liked to see happen in Afghanistan. But ultimately, the person responsible is the guy who was sitting there. When yeah, yeah, yeah. The, my complaint about this debate about fault is the it's all Biden's fault argument relies on the idea that somehow this would have been good under Donald Trump that and my favorite I've and I've no, it doesn't I've made I don't think it would have been good under Trump no and I do think it's all Biden's fault but you're so. but you're but you're not a weirdo you're a non-weirdo so that is that this is different I'm saying that in the universe of hyper-partisan 
coverage of this. Right. The Fox stuff is like, you know, almost as ridiculous. I heard Kaylee Mac I heard Kaylee McEnany say the other day that it, that the Trump administration was different from the Biden administration. We didn't go from crisis to crisis. And I was like, some days there would be five crises in one day. Some days it was so it was so chaotic. And this is really we're going to talk about this more later in of all things with as it relates to of all things the Federal Reserve. The coverage of these kinds of things, so there's not a good way to retreat from a landlocked country 7,000 miles away. It's just not, especially when you've already ceded everything to some of the worst people, a bunch of fourth century individuals. It's, it's, not, going, it's not going to be good. Biden is trying to aggressively push back on press coverage on this and brag about the numbers. We got 100,000 people out, he said today, blah, 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 blah. The truth is there's probably... No way that Biden could have done this that wouldn't have been it wouldn't have looked like a catastrophe. And the idea that another president could have done this in some effective way is whether it be Donald Trump or somebody else is a little silly. That's not to say that you can't hold Biden accountable for the errors that he made. And there have been lots and lots of errors that he has made. But part of the the problem in the coverage here, and this is really across the board, is that there's a good way to be in or out of Afghanistan. Afghanistan is not a good place to be. And if you're going to be there, you have to accept the fact that it's not going to be perfect. And if you're going to get out, you have to accept that it's not going to be perfect. And nobody in politics of foreign policy, it's very hard to get politicians to take any risk to do the right thing on foreign policy because voters just don't care. Unless, and as you say, the well, I, we're going to get to that. Yeah. But first, I completely disagree with everything you just said. Not like I know anything, because I don't, about whether there is a right way or a wrong way. However, I'm just going to appeal to authority because I listened to a wonderful interview with your colleague, Fred Kagan, okay. who said, you're right, there's no way to get out honorably in this time frame. There is a way to do, had Biden been willing to take the political sure. heat for extending the time frame. And also, uh, he didn't have to get out. No. So look, let's make no mistake. Joe Biden has handled this awfully. It has been catastrophically bad, bad judgment and all that stuff. I'm just saying that the execution and and this is the thing. This is the competent. When you have people talk about competency, I'm reminded of the Obamacare website. (laughs) So Obama makes in the 20 in the year 2010, the Obama administration engaged in a hubristic, catastrophic decision to plunge ahead on Obamacare, even though it had become obvious, especially after the special election in Massachusetts to replace Ted Kennedy, it had become obvious that this was a dog and he this was not the right way to go. This was the wrong use of his time and effort, and he should have moved on to something else. But they were afraid that if they didn't stick the landing on this, that it would be worse for them. So they plowed ahead. And then it was ill-conceived and poorly executed. What did the story end up being? The dumb website. And now on the one hand, you could say that the failure of the Obamacare website was indicative of the larger problems with the da-da-da-da-da. But for the left press, it was perfect because you can say it was a competent, see, the idea was good, but they just, and then they could yell at Obama about the website. And Obama even embraced that. So I think what we're talking about with Afghanistan is similar. Biden's premise was wrong. 
but they're going to talk about the execution of it on a competency question as opposed to the ideological or conceptual co- of failure, which is where Biden... Well, his failures on both fronts, but do Americans care? Oh. This is your your topic. <laughs> well, I, this is just my... I stipulate when you sent this, no, they don't care. Tell us about the Gallup poll. However, I think that is likely to change. Biden's approval rating has already tanked. Now, it will rebound if Afghanistan recedes from the headlines, but we're now hearing reports of American casualties in Afghanistan, and that's what I really think could have an impact on like public opinion. But probably not. Americans don't. So in the most recent, so uh, by the way, we should have mentioned this, NBC and the Wall Street Journal have split up their polling, they, their longstanding polling relationship. And now NBC is doing it by itself, but they're keeping the same polling team, the great Bill McInturf from Public Opinion Strategies and the Hart's group, Yang, Hart, I forget. Whatever. But anyway, the Democratic pollster. That w- so Hart and McInturf are still doing the work. And in the poll, they asked, so this is one of the many polls that last week and the week before started to show Biden. He moved under the 50 percent threshold in the 538 average, which is a good one to use for the first time. And it wasn't by much, but it was a little. If you if you lift the hood and say, where is he hurting? He's hurting on coronavirus. So the coronavirus was why he's president. We'll and, link that poll, too. And and people are very, un, people are very understandably frustrated with our boobish, incompetent, foolhardy approach to dealing with the Delta variant of coronavirus and lagging inoculations have us all sweating through our face masks. I was at the post office and it said mask optional or encouraged. And I was like, I'm not doing it. And for the first time, I was that guy. I was a place where it was like, it was so hot and I'd walk like a half a mile. Because generally, if you prefer it, if the proprietor prefers it, then I will, whatever, it's his business. But this is a federal government said, mask, prefer. I was like, I prefer not. So suck it. And and so I did. Firewalt's great moment of courage this week, everyone. Um, no mask at the post office. No mask at the post office. Uh, because I'm uh, the ma- if you haven't been inoculated yet, and you're still going around, then get inoculated. I don't think it's fair for them to ask, for people who refuse to get inoculated, to ask the rest of the world to continue to wear a mask. That's how I feel about it. But All right, so I want to turn back but the, a week from now okay. to do Americans care about Afghanistan and see if this has changed. So Gallup asked uh, long – we like Gallup because they use basically good methodology, but why we really – Gallup is that they've been using basically good methodology for 60 years, and they have a long baseline for us to compare opinion against. And here's what Gallup said. They ask an open-ended question with a lot of frequency. They ask an open-ended question, which is, what are you most – what do you think the biggest problems facing the United States are? Coronavirus, through the roof, up 14 points from last year. Last summer, the government, which uh, I like, which is where I would be. What's the biggest problem? The government. That's number two. Immigration, the economy, and race relations. I mean, that's yikes for Biden all the way down. But what he probably does okay on immigration. The, we'll see about he the does economy. Not do well on immigration. You don't think so? But no, a lot- no. But I think that is impacting public opinion. The thing that struck me is that. Democratic satisfaction with Biden yes. is down from 63% in May to 39% now. That seems to me a real on, on which issue? Alarm overall. No. Satisfaction with the way things are going. With okay, satisfaction with the way things are going. But that's a wrong track number. That's different than their satisfaction with Biden. But I would just say this. Closely correlated. The re, the, the reason we have a terrible the reason the United States has a terrible foreign policy or that we have no policy 
I will quote the great Jonah Goldberg, who, when he talks about immigration policy, what's your goal on immigration policy? And he says to have one. And the same can be said about our foreign policy. We have a really crummy foreign policy that makes our allies nervous and emboldens our enemies. And we have this because we have cowardly politicians who do and give what they think people want. And the truth is what Americans want on foreign policy, not to talk about it. That's what they want. They don't care. And sad as it is to say, the moment that the last American who wants to get out of Afghanistan gets out of Afghanistan, Afghanistan will join a list of other countries like Haiti and Somalia and other basket case countries in the world where Americans say, it must be very terrible to live there. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to think about it anymore. Until there's a terrorist attack. Exactly. All right. So- on to the real news of the week after that, uh, <laughs> after that throat clearing. Uh, Politico sold to Axel Springer for $1 billion. Um, <laughs> reports indicate that Axel Springer, which is a German media conglomerate. Well, that's not a guy? Uh, I'm so bummed when you sent me the thing. I was like, major, I was picturing a, major a, German media a dude named Axel Springer. Uh, and... It does strike me that the Politico model, which is incremental scoops, lightning turnaround, newsletters, all digital, using events as revenue has taken over mm-hmm. the media landscape. And those who are late to the party are are the ones laying people off while Politico is being sold for a billion dollars. I can't what, believe what, it. what interested me more in this, because I take a sort of like joy in this, is that my friend Jamie Kerchick in Tablet Magazine about a week ago profiled the Axel Springer CEO, mm-hmm. whose name is Matthias Dopfner. And Matthias Dopfner. The way that he has responded to this sort of woke rumblings in his workplace, and I really think this is going to be a rude awakening for some Politico employees, was in the middle of a controversy a couple of months ago when he order, he asked that the Israeli flag be flown alongside those of Germany and the EU outside of Berlin's headquarters <laughs> after there was a spate of anti-Semitic attacks in Germany following the, uh, the latest Israel-Hamas skirmish. And, of course, the Wokesters complained, and Doppner told them, I think, and I'm being very frank with you, a person who has an issue with an Israeli flag being raised for one week here after anti-Semitic demonstrations should look for a new job. Chris, and her line the is the kind of backbone we need in the American media? And her line is fantastic. She writes after that, and with that, the minor uprising at Axel Sprenger was kaput. kaput. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Lustiger, yeah. Uh, and... Today, I'm reportedly a staffer asked the same guy on a Politico conference call whether they would institute a paywall over the free part of Politico's offerings. And the same CEO said, we're from Berlin. We don't like the concept of walls. So I like this guy. I don't believe. He's actually in the running for Free Beacon Man of the Year. I don't believe that. Was it the All Britons? Did the All Britons still own Politico? Uh, Yeah. So Robert All Britton owned it and he sold it. So I don't believe that Robert Albritton is going to get a billion dollars for Politico. I don't think that's true. No, I, I read that I think he'll take home $500 million. I don't even think that. I have always been very dubious about Politico's claims of profitability. It has all, they, they claim to be making a profit from the beginning, and I just I, I don't buy it. But, okay, let's say that's so. I always wonder with Politico about— how much better or worse political journalism would be 
if that infernal creation had never been created. The dumb dummy, win the day, grind each. In the old days, when it was the Hill, back when the Hill was the Hill, and you had roll call, congressional coverage, Washington coverage, was boring, and it was done for insiders. And what Politico imagined... Politico is not boring and done for insiders. Right. What Politico imagined was that you could make it spicy, and that you could grind down the increments. Nobody wins the day, right? Nobody wins the day in politics. You, I want to know, are you going to win the year? Are you going to win the election? Are you going to do whatever? But this grindy incrementalism that Politico brought to Capitol Hill coverage and electoral politics coverage, I assume we would have gotten there without that, that the Washington Post Of course. Post I don't whoever. think that's really the problem with the media or Politico. That's something that I think Twitter accelerated more than anything because there was no need to wait to actually have a story edited and put online. I do agree with you that I, I think there's a place for the Politico-type coverage. I love doing it. But I do think that it has come at the cost of a big-picture understanding, yep. the larger You're forces that right. work in politics, and those things. Like, now you can really distinguish yourself if you understand those things and are able to take the use the increments, like, to illustrate forces I, When I work. talk about the Politicoification, I should—you're uh, right. It's the twitter it, it arrived. It arrived contemporaneous with Twitter. The two arrived at about the same time. And it's been very bad for our understanding of stuff. Now, Politico does good coverage, and there's good stuff to be had and all of that. But just generally speaking, politics cannot be understood by the tweet, and it cannot be understood by the get. And that's— it. That's just microscopes do not make this any better. And it's probably best. I, I guess maybe I'll put it this way. It's not surprising that Mike Allen and Jim Vandehei, when they left the Twitter, when they left the Twitter, when they left the Politico <laughs> that they founded, it's not surprising that they wanted to do something that was a more sober sided or, or had had a more clear view at Axios. And so but I, to Axel Springer, we say uh, what is it? Uh, oh, I, my German's failing me. What's I can't. Good luck in German. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah, we'll be following you, Matthias. Up next, <laughs> ABC top a former, former top ABC executive named Michael Korn sued for sexual harassment by a current Good Morning America producer. I believe this is of interest to me. Only because, of course, Fox was like a greatly exaggerated, you know, caricatured version of. What's ha- what happens all over the media, but I have no idea whether Michael Korn sexually harassed these women, and you should all go read the pieces about it and the lawsuit. All of the incidents described occurred when he was intoxicated, sometimes quite early in the morning. Anyhow, <laughs> I interviewed with Michael Korn. Ah. When he was executive producer of the Evening News at ABC with Diane Sawyer, and it was the single worst interview I have ever been in in my life. Spill the tea. You know, I came in wanting a job in mainstream media, having been a writer for Sean Hannity. And let's just say he did not evince a great respect for my experience at Fox. And it was just, I remember at the end, he did not walk me out. And anyways, he was a jerk. Michael, you're a jerk. Did you, and did you hold your own? I know you did. I, do, I actually think I was pretty rattled. I was young, and I remember leaving and being like, oh, my God, that was a complete disaster. But anyways, he's got it, his own disaster. He's got his own disaster, and I feel my, my – I have my 
worst feelings here, I don't know anything about the truth or falsity of the claims, so I'll leave that aside. But just based on what we know, my worst feelings are for the folks at his new employer, which is- Yeah, which is, I'm drawing a blank on the the parent company name, but it's News Nation, which is- Nextstar. Nextstar. They just bought The Hill, and they're also News Nation, which- They bought The Hill? Yeah, they just did. Maybe the hill will get. I mean, I can't believe what they paid for that turd. What would they? Pay I think for it was also hill? a billion dollars. Nobody me. paid a billion dollars for the. Hold hill. on, I'm gonna see right now. That is. Next star, next star. I spelled it wrong. This is. I can't wait to hear this. Oh, sorry, 130 million. I was only off by tenfold. Only off by. The... Come here when you want the real accurate figures. The... 130 million dollars. Still overpriced, but maybe the, the hill. Talk about embracing the dark side of the political. Yeah, next star. Model. If you're out there, I'm very interested in talking about a one billion dollar or even one hundred and thirty million dollar buyout of just, the Washington. They should just thing. hire you to fix the hill. You would fix the hill. You'd turn yeah, the hill yeah. around in about two days. When they're like, "Hey, I rewrote this story, this thin story from another outlet. I rewrote it, and we're going to give it a URL. You can say, do some reporting." Get off your lazy keister and go do some We reporting. were just joking yesterday. I was with colleagues, and they were remembering a former colleague who, who was a bit older and who would tell the young people to teach them that their job was, number one, get scoops. Yeah, get scoops. <laughs> get scoops. Get scoops. Break some Enough news. Enough said. All right. Uh, Chris, next couple are yours. They're all ours together. So the that's going to turn out the way that socialist magazine went. Uh, I think we ought to mention Larry Elder, who is finding himself surprisingly. Now, I have no idea how the California recall is going to turn out. Let's start with the polls on this are going to be hot garbage. A lot of people don't know that it's going on, but it's also going. But also, ballots are going to be mailed out. So you're going to have a very weird turnout model. But under the polling that exists, Gavin Newsom is close. The polls say that it's that the race to recall Gavin Newsom is pretty close. And if he does get recalled, the front runner, based on name identification, is longtime talk radio host Larry Elder. And Larry Elder is a Californian, and he is he's not exactly a shock jock, but he is more. He's even more, I would say, more confrontational than Rush Limbaugh was. Would you say that's fair? How yeah, you... I think he's he's African-American. And I think, like, you see sometimes among the African-Americans, there's only a handful of them on their right. But they tend to be, like, they're radicalized because of their experience on the left, whether it's Clarence Thomas or Larry Elder or some others. And they have a, a unique experience so, uh, El- so Elder, on the left and on the right. So there are success stories of people going from the media into politics. Mike Pence, longtime talk radio host, becomes a congressman, becomes vice president. Dies. Let's. Th- who are the other success stories? Well, Ronald Reagan, if you count, if you count the movies, but not I the don't news count business. That. But the other one that came to mind was Arnold. Yeah, Der Gubernator, the the guy Jason Lewis in Minnesota. Oh, Ooh. yeah. There there are examples of people making the leap. But yeah. W- but when you try to make the leap, and Larry Elder is under intense scrutiny now, and it's when John Stewart or whoever says, oh, I'm going to run. Was that uh, Stephen Colbert who said, I'm going to run for president? Colbert. And then, and then enough people are like, hey, that's funny. Maybe I'll get in on this. So it's just it's a cautionary tale uh, about the difference between talking about politics and being in politics. Have you ever had anybody tell you to run for office? Probably. Uh, yes, but I never would. And people say Dude, my paper trail is like the end of my political 
and, political right. career. And and people say to me, like, oh, have you ever thought about running for office? And it's no. absolutely not. I'm over here. They're over there. That's why I'm over here. This is fun. That isn't. That is horrible. The other, the flip side of the Larry Elder story is, uh, that's interesting, I think, is that it is like a real indictment of Gavin Newsom that Larry Elder in the state of California is ostensibly running close to him. And I do think that the Democratic governors, Newsom and Andrew Cuomo in New York, they are ill served by the soft media coverage because then they do not know how to handle themselves. Whereas, let's say somebody like Ron DeSantis in Florida were to run for president, he's not going to be surprised by the what do you like shark cage eyes? Yeah, I, I he's not going to be, and he's able to handle himself in these confrontational crisis situations. We'll see, we'll see about we'll that. We'll see, but I do think that. These people are not well served by the fawning coverage that generally accompanies them. We And Kamala Harris's presidential campaign that's, is a great a example, example of that. But I would point out, Gavin Newsom is not running close to Larry Elder. Gavin Newsom is running close to someone else. So there, he's it's close in the recall. And then Larry Elder, in a field that includes 20 bajillion Republicans, including Caitlyn Jenner and a bunch of folks, is because he has a famous name, is running ahead of the pack. That's why recall elections are moronic and truly bad. Of all of the bad things that direct democracy in California can bring, the idea, and Wisconsin has it too, the idea that halfway through a governor's term, or in this case, two-thirds of the way through a governor's term, you're just like, no, I want to get rid of this guy, and I want someone else. Who's someone else? Is it whatever? I have no opinion on recalls, but I do have opinions on the Fed. Oh, okay. Well, Tell us, you... All yours. I like this item. So there's a bunch of coverage. It's in the Times today. Bloomberg has it. Like a lot of people have it because climate activists are protesting. The Fed, the Federal Reserve, is having its annual summer retreat in Jackson Hole, where they lay out their blah 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 for the blah 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 blah. And the big question. That's funny because having just been in Jackson Hole, everybody who works there, they have a major labor shortage there, and the people were saying the billionaires are pushing out the millionaires. Like just impossible to live in this town. So, anyways, I hope these fat cats at the Fed and Joy. So the question is, how will Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome deal with climate change? And there's headlines, like I said, across the spectrum. What will the Federal Reserve Bloomberg, do? New York Times. Yeah. What will the Federal Reserve do? Reuters. What will the Federal Reserve do about climate change? I don't know. Probably nothing. Probably nothing, at least. Uh, now, what they might do is screw up their job. People who don't know, this is a pet peeve for a lot of folks, but in 1977, Congress changed Federal Reserve's job description. It had previously been in charge of making sure that the United States had stable currency, that the job of the Federal Reserve created during the Great Depression was to make sure that we did not run into liquidity crises again and that there would be enough money in circulation when when things... I love the subhead of the Bloomberg article on this, which is activists need to recognize the political constraints the central bank faces for sure I.e., yeah this is not its job and so the in 1977 they added the mandate that they had to also try to reach full employment and that they couldn't just engage in good monetary policy they also had to engage in economic stimulative activity which is why the federal reserve is a dump and that's why inflation and that's why boo dual mandate and now the idea that the federal reserve could ha- the coverage is so frustrating because it supposes 
as it, it takes the predicate that there's something that the Federal Reserve can do about climate change effectively, and what are they going to do? Not, hey, that's a dumb idea. Why would you have why that would why don't they have milk at the Home Depot? What kind of milk will they get at the Home Depot? Will the Home Depot have other dairy supplies? Will critics of the Home Depot be satisfied by their move to include two percent but not whole? It's so dumb, and the framing is so stupid. And what it does is, it's this is how. The press frog marches people and institutions into dumb ideas because if you control the most important part of the narrative is the framing of the narrative. And if the framing of the narrative is what are you going to do, not whether you should. Yep. Folks, that long wind up brings (laughs) us into our obsessions of the week. Where we break down these stories that we can't get out of our heads. Chris, mine is this kerfuffle now a few days in the rearview window between the Associated Press and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, the aforementioned. And this is why I think he's getting road tested in all this. This is a good example. So the brouhaha began with an AP report last week strongly suggesting that DeSantis was promoting an antibody treatment for covid Because one of his political donors has an investment in it. Mm -hmm. That donor is uh, Citadel's Ken Griffin. And the treatment is Regeneron, which is monoclonal antibodies that, once you have COVID, reduce mortality by 70%. So the AP acknowledges that the treatment works, but they... Uh, take issue with the fact that, quote, experts agree that keeping people out of the hospital is a top priority, but say vaccines, not treatment for people after they get sick, are the best way to do that. So they're mad that his they argue his focus is off. What they don't mention is that the same Ken Griffin and Citadel, his fund, is also invested in Moderna and Pfizer. Mm -hmm. So if DeSantis is corrupt, this is like a strange way to show it. But fast forward and his spokeswoman points these things out and she writes on Twitter, drag them. For which she is suspended from Twitter. She wrote something else too. Yeah, she wrote... um, It was very... She wanted to put them on blast and retweeted a message that said, light them up. Light, period, them, period, up, period. Yes. So, a couple things. Let's stipulate. Not the most professional use of Twitter. That's why I hate Twitter. She probably shouldn't have said that. But the article was like case in point of, it was like a case study in the tendentiousness of the news coverage that we've seen during COVID. And by the way, this is like a theme with DeSantis. 60, you, you probably remember that 60 Minutes did a segment suggesting that DeSantis was distributing vaccines in public supermarkets, which are the lar- which is the largest chain in Florida, because he got a $100,000 donation from Publix. It's hilarious. And DeSantis, however, stood by his press secretary who had done something wrong, which I think is a good sign. Not abandoned his people and, and told the AP that they were going to cost lives because they were casting aspersions on... A treatment for COVID, which I think is true. So the AP reporter in this story is Brendan Farrington, who is very has gotten a lot of traction on Twitter himself because he has a he has covered Florida for a long time and he's got a kind of snarky he's got a good Twitter attitude. 
Terrible sign, everyone. And then another terrible sign is that DeSantis's state-paid press secretary believes that she is a campaign Twitter jockey whose job is to go on to Twitter and trash talk this. Look, the story was thin, right? It was not incorrect, but it was thin. And But for DeSantis and his press secretary, the story represented an opportunity. Yeah, the story was true that, yes, DeSantis is promoting this. Right. Yes, Ken Griffin has an investment in Regeneron. But the the suggestion that it made tacitly that there was something inappropriate in his promotion of this treatment, when, like, the federal government has bought out the stockpile of Regeneron, think, is I th- ridiculous. I think Ron DeSantis is not a doctor and, as governor of Florida, probably maybe ought to not. I, I, I have no idea how much he talked about it. I don't know how much it is by comparison to other things. I don't know whether he was wearing a Regeneron T-shirt. I don't know. I don't know anything about it. But I do know that the way that his press secretary conducted herself and the way that Brendan Farrington at the AP, so you have a thin story that is filed by this guy who's popular on the Internet. And then this represents an opportunity for DeSantis and his press secretary to go guns out. What What a full blast. The Associated Press. So here's the thing. Here's the trap for the AP. Here's a here's a thin story that you can chip it. Here's a story. Fump. I got it in there. Basically meets the 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 barest USDA minimum requirements for news content. So you flop that one in the bucket, and maybe you get some clicks. But then you open the door for DeSantis and his nasty grand press secretary to say, you see how the AP is? Everything so that when the AP comes back to do coverage on something that is more serious or consequential, they have uh, eroded their credibility. They've, they've, already, they've laid when down Ron the credit. When Ron DeSantis really is corrupt. Hey, far be it for me to suggest that any Florida politician wouldn't sure. just be 100%. But I am saying that in the future, when there are more controversies, more substantive controversies around DeSantis, mm-hmm. this will diminish the clout. Over to you, Chris, for your obsession. So my obsession is, my obsession, Eliana, is the First Amendment, okay? Okay, I'm just obsessed with it because it's so great. A dumb lawsuit, and I don't mean that I don't know the 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 legality of it but the story is of so there was one of these long shot candidates for office that republicans sometimes put forward this gal was in baltimore her name was uh kimberly really her, classic. her name is still kimberly classic and she had been promoted by Candace Owens and others on right media. Tell us who Candace Owens is. That's a good question. She is like the she's like Charlie Kirk. She is a flame throwing, controversy courting MAGA media personality. Does that yeah? Does that get it right? Yeah. Okay, this woman who ran again. I can't remember what who her long shot was. She against Quasi and Fume. But she, yes, she was she, running. She a, did, but Fox made her a superstar by putting her on every day and kind of suggesting that she had this had a is, chance. This is classic now, yeah, yeah, that she had a chance to win in this super democratic district. So as it became clear that she was not going, if a Republican, and this you see this with Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, you see it with what Sheila Jackson Lee, what's the one in California, African Congressional Black Caucus member Maxine Waters. Maxine Waters. So Republicans scrape up somebody from the district who's going to run. Fox and other right outlets give them undue coverage. and It's what happens to every Mitch McConnell challenger. Perfect. Exactly. That is exactly right. Have you heard about the great new challenger to Mitch McConnell? I'm like, 
who's going to spend $100 million to lose by 11 points? Yes, I have heard. So it's better it's better O'Rourke syndrome, but the, 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 sh- the seamy underbelly of better O'Rourke syndrome. So this when it became clear that this woman either was going to lose or she had lost badly, she took the position. Candace Owens came out to say she's trash, basically, because her husband operates a, a nudie bar and that she did whatever and that she had and went out and trashed her. And this woman says it's not true, so she's suing. So who cares? Because the reason we say who cares is these are two public figures. This is a media personality uh, suing or this is a uh, candidate for uh, elective office suing a media personality under the lawsuit that has been the the precedent since 1964, if you're a public figure, and this there was law supporting this before, but if you're a public figure, you have to prove malice in order to bring a libel lawsuit. Malicious intent, I think. Right. So, uh, you have to know that hard. it's wrong, and you have to the 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 litigant had the plaintiff has to prove that you knew that what you were saying was untrue and intended to harm this public figure. This is designed, of course, this comes out of the civil rights and uh, uh, New York Times, famous case, blah, 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 not important. But the standard is basically so that if I say, I think that Joe Biden is a woolly-headed doofus, that that Joe Biden can't come sue me because he's a public figure and that's how it is. So there's been a whole move inside the conservative legal community. Clarence Thomas, one one of the leaders on this, but Gorsuch recently joining him in a case where they want to re-examine Sullivan, this longstanding precedent that, that talks about this. And I would just say, I would just say that lawsuits... So maybe the goal here is that we just have a lot more litigation around this stuff. And I'm not saying that's not right. Maybe that's what we need. I don't think so. But I can tell you that in this day and age, if you lower these standards and say, you know what, maybe Candace Owens can be sued by this woman for what she said. And maybe this should go to court and maybe that we should do all of this Yeah, it's a little more complicated. So I I think like the Clarence Thomas argument was that states should be able to decide what their libel standards are. Yes. And so and Gor- and Gorsuch, says and Gorsuch. the states are perfectly capable of striking an acceptable balance between encouraging robust public discourse and providing a meaningful remedy for reputational harm. I hear you. And and but the consequence would be a lot more litigation, a lot for more sure. litigation. And what the consequences of those litigation, what the consequence of that litigation would be is what the consequence of that litigation would be is that for Outlets like yours uh, or mine. I've been on the receiving end of several threats. The latest one that we got, which was hilarious that I did not even deign to respond to, was saying that we had defamed a company for leaving out particular information from right. a report. So I've been I I've been sued. I've been had I've had companies sued for a publisher sued for the work that I've done. I've been deposed. I've been to the debt. I've I have been I have This been, guy has made his way through the American legal system, everyone. Yeah, sure. And that comes with the territory. You assume that is going to be when you do a controversial story, when you blow up somebody's political career, when you do that stuff, you assume that the that that litigation is a challenge here. And where I would disagree with Thomas's premise and where I would dis- I, I think Gorsuch is trying to strike a different balance where I disagree with Thomas's premise is there are already consequences right and powerful rich powerful people often 
use the system and the costs attendant to the system to keep unfavorable things out of print. That is already the case. And I think we got to protect Sullivan. I think we got to protect the standard. I don't think this is the time to get slippy on this stuff because it's all, we already have a case where all too often the threat of litigation can keep things, not all too often, but we have a situation where the threat of litigation keeps stuff out of print quite frequently. And I don't think we need to make it easier for that to be the case. I will spend the next week educating myself on the legal scholarship about this. All right, Chris, now it's time for your favorite segment of the week where I have to say something nice. I am shouting out to my hometown paper, the Star Tribune, for capturing the insane political moment in which we live, whether intentional or unintentional. This was the headline uh, that landed in my inbox this week. Mosque bomber now identifies as a woman, says right-wing blogs fueled inner conflict leading up to attack. So the story is about a crazy guy who drove from Illinois to the Twin Cities wanting to bomb a mosque and is now uh, facing life in prison. And this was a paragraph in the piece. Emily Claire Hari, previously known as Michael Hari, is asking a judge to legally acknowledge her transgender identity. Hari, 50, says a combination of gender dysphoria and right-wing misinformation fueled her inner conflict during the time that she was convicted of bombing Dar al-Farouk Islamic Center in Bloomington, which is a suburb of St. Paul. This is like the collision of all the insanities of our of our moment. Hats off to the Star Tribune. That's, uh... That's that's I, special. There's really nothing I can say without getting in very obvious trouble. Well, is here. this any more than a bid to get into a woman's prison, do you think? I don't know. Because I talked to a lot of guys and they were like, much rather be in the woman's prison than the male prison. I don't know. You, 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 I, I've been inside a couple women's prisons and I can tell you it's not uh, it's not like the movies in there. Better than the male prisons. Yeah, I don't know. I, I my, my choice is. Neither. I'm gonna. I'm going to go with neither. But this is a. I. This is either a. a I'm going to go with just deeply disturbed and a very deeply disturbed individual. And but kudos to your hometown paper. My kudo is to the American Conservative. So the American Conservative is Pat Buchanan's old pub is a sort of paleo right. And they've got a, a new crew. A Rod Durr is there. And it's the Protestant version of. This is way in the—now we're talking about literally dozens of people have knowledge of these gradient differences. But this is like the Protestant version of the first things Catholic integralist idea, which is calling for a a moral, spiritual revival in the United States and using political means to obtain that and putting family first in our political strategies and all of that stuff. Consequently, magazine had given a lot of drippy coverage to J.D. Vance's Senate run in— Ohio, J.D. Vance, who's polling terribly, and people don't know who he is in Ohio and whatever. So he's not, he, he has struggled to get traction, but there are all of these super elites. So these are like the Tucker Carlsonian. Yeah, it's interesting. He's actually, he's, of course, is a native Ohioan, but he's like a coastal elite candidate. Um, and Peter, in a lot of ways. Peter Thiel. So he is the candidate of. The self-loathing elite is how I would describe it for Peter Thiel, Tucker Carlson, and others who are like, we feel bad 
about what's happening to poor whites in 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 the interior of the United States, and we dislike the other elites who did bad things to them. And so, the, and you can read it a lot of different places and and hear it a lot of different places. But that's all a long way of saying, kudos to the American conservative for publishing a piece that undercut their own its own position and that brought a dissenting point of view in. And it's from a liberal writer, Cincinnatian, James Pogue, who wrote this piece about going back to Cincinnati and meeting. He's from Cincinnati, and he talked about a lot. It's a great piece. I recommend it to everybody. We're going to link it in the show notes. Going back to Cincinnati, I'll read you the paragraph that really struck me. The liberals of my parents' generation didn't even notice when their values became ascendant because in the now permanent revolution that our culture has become, it was very easy to pretend that they were still fighting against the repressive hegemony of family family values conservatives. They didn't notice how their cultural values ended up being plenty concordant with the values and interests of our true oligarchs. They didn't notice how the values that uh, they were supposed to be about that were supposed to be about liberation left half of America feeling constrained to change. And they didn't understand why this had anything to do with them. Quote, I think our people hate the right people, Vance said to me as we wrapped up. It's an easy thing to think now when the stakes are lower than they soon may be. And it was almost chilling to read the piece and listen to Vance and his enthusiasm for culture war and upheaval and all of this stuff that how far detached Vance was from real life and the consequences of radical change. And it was a great piece. Kudos to the American conservative for giving the other side of the debate uh, a little voice there and more publications should do it. Kudos. That is all the time we have left this week for the news about the news. If you have a story that you want us to talk about, please email us at wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. That's wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. This has been Ink Stained Wretches from Nebulous Media. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Wretches. Wretches.